Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We cannot thank you enough for speaking to us because we do not deserve to hear your voice. But you, in your mercy, you proclaim your gospel to us. You tell us about yourself and you tell us how to live for your glory. Lord, we thank you for the book of Ezra and we pray that you may particularly give us insight into your words contained in it this morning. Help us by your Holy Spirit to understand what you have said to us in your word in the book of Ezra. And may we go out from here strengthened and encouraged to continue to fight for your kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I used to play a lot of Xbox when I was... uh, uh, probably before I came here. Since I've come here and as a pastor, I've got, uh, I think, better things to do with my time. But I used to play a lot of Xbox and video games. And one of my favorite things to do on video games was, of course, to play first-person shooter games, where you go around shooting other people with different weapons. And there was one game in particular that I spent a lot of time on, on the Xbox, and uh, that was called Halo. And I spent a lot of time with uh, particular weapons, and I had weapons of choice that I would, uh, my favorite weapons, so my favorite weapon on Halo was the pistol, and uh, and I would always be using the pistol, but sometimes I used other weapons uh, that uh, if I couldn't get my pistol, I'd use a shotgun, but that's more of a close range weapon, and so I didn't like it so much because I don't like getting too close to the enemy. Uh, a sniper rifle was also very good because uh, then you can be off at a great distance, but I had my different weapons to attack the enemy with, and I... Uh, excelled in certain ones and other ones when I picked those up I'd be pretty poor with those compared to the enemy's use of those weapons and it's not only in video games that we have enemies and have attacks coming at us we all know what it is to be attacked by other people and not usually with weapons but in other ways people will attack us and often we are attacked because we are Christians Christians do have enemies, and the enemies do come and attack us in different ways. And this morning we're going to particularly look at uh, the way that God's people were attacked by enemies in the book of Ezra. It's actually been about a year since we started the book of Ezra, and I took a a year break from it. So we finished up to the end of chapter 3 last year, and now we're going to pick up again at chapter 4, verse 1. But I thought we should probably do a bit of a recap as to what has happened up to this point, uh, and particularly in just the history of Israel. We've got to get into our minds the broad scope of what happens to the people of God in the Old Testament. So, of course, you you, um, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob, of course, is uh, renamed Israel, and then he has a lot of sons, and those sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And they end up in Egypt because of a famine, and one of the sons of Israel, Joseph, is in charge of Egypt, and so the Israelites prosper there in Egypt, but then eventually they become the slaves of the Egyptians, and God, in his mercy, hears their cries in Egypt and brings them out in what is known as the Exodus. And you can read all about it in that book called Exodus. And then as they come out of Egypt, they are brought to the promised land. They spend a bit of time in the desert. Uh, But then they come into the promised land. They live there for quite a few centuries. 
But while they're living there in the promised land, they, of course, sin against God again and again and worship other gods. God sends prophets warning them, you are doing the wrong thing. If you keep doing this, I will punish you. And eventually he does punish them by bringing uh, two nations in particular against them, the Assyrian nation, and then the Babylonian army comes. And what ends up happening is the people in Israel, in the land of uh, Canaan, are taken out and taken to exile in Babylon. But God doesn't forget them while they're there in Babylon. They stay there for 70 years and then they're allowed to return. And that's where the book of Ezra picked up. If you remember back a year ago when we looked at Ezra, uh, the people of Israel, some of them choose to return to the promised land. And they get back there and they do two things. Uh, Those two things are described in chapter 3, which we looked at when we last looked at the book. One thing is they rebuild the altar. So you can see the New International Version heading there on page 463, um, just above chapter 3, verse 1. It says, rebuilding the altar. So they start sacrificing rightly to God again. After they've been away in Babylon, they're now back. They're sacrificing and they start to rebuild that temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And so that's the heading above verse 7. It speaks from verse 7 down to verse 13 about the rebuilding of the temple. And we looked at that last time I preached on Ezra last year. So now they've rebuilt the altar. They've rebuilt the temple. Things are going well. They're back in the promised land. And things are getting back together. But now we pick up from verse 1 of chapter 4 and we see that they've taken a few steps forward and now they're taking steps backward as enemies come. And we see these enemies attack in different ways. And so the first thing we see this morning is that God's enemies attack deceptively. They use deception. And so if you're following there on the back of the church bulletin, I've got my main points there. And so my first main point this morning is that God's enemies attack deceptively. And we see that in verses 1 to 3. We see these enemies come and their attack. Verse 1 of chapter 4, if you've got a black church Bible, page 463, I encourage you to have it open as we look at the first five verses of chapter 4 today. But particularly verse 1 to 3, we see their attack by deception. Verse 1, when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build. Because, like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esedon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. These enemies come... And they don't come in a way that you would expect them to come if they are enemies. Instead, they ask to help rebuild the temple. And at first, it seems like they're doing the right thing. And it seems like the leader, leaders of Israel, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, Zerubbabel is the sort of the prince, uh, he's said to be the prince of Judah at the time, and Jeshua, the high priest, they seem to say, no, we don't want your help. And it seems like they're kind of being rude to these people that are coming and asking to help. They say, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. Are they being rude? Are the Israelites being cruel to these other people that are wanting to worship God and build his temple? Well, no, they know what these people are like. 
they know that they are enemies and that what they are saying is only partly true that they want to worship God and that they have been worshipping God appropriately. We actually find out more information about these uh, people in the book of Kings. Uh, uh, Second Kings, I encourage you to flip back there and we'll read uh, a bit of a lengthy report as to what these people were doing in the land and their worship of God. Second Kings, verse 17, 378 of the Black Church Bibles, 378. 2 Kings, verse 17, and we're going to be reading from verse 24 down to verse 33. These, this is a description of these people, these enemies, in the land of Canaan when uh, the Israelites returned there. 2 Kings, verse 17, verse 20, uh, chapter 17, verse 24, page 378. So little number, verse 24. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kuthar, Ava, Hamath, and Saravam, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. When they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord. So he sent lions among them, and they killed some of the people. It was reported to the king of Assyria, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions among them, which are killing them off because the people do not know what he requires. Then the king of Assyria gave this order, Have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord. So far so good, they're worshipping God. But what happens in verse 29? Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in the several towns where they settled and set them up in shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places. The men from Babylon made Succoth, Benoth, and the men from Kuthar made Nergal, and the men from Hamath made Ashmah, and the Abites made Nibsas and Tartak, and the Sephavites burned their children in the fire as sacrifices to Adramalek and Anamalek the gods of Seravaim. They worshipped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places. They worshipped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. These people there are claiming to worship God, but they're also worshipping other gods. They are happy to worship the Lord, the God of Israel, but they still want to worship their own gods. And that is not the way you worship the Lord. The Lord requires that you are devoted to him wholly, that there is no other God in your life but him alone. That was the problem with the Israelites. That's why they got punished. That's why judgment came upon them was because they continually worshipped other gods. They would make a token gesture to the Lord of Israel, but they'd also worship other gods. And so these people that are coming in Ezra chapter 4 and saying, we worship the Lord and we want to build his temple, they're still worshipping other gods as well. And so they're being deceptive in the way that they're speaking here to the Israelites. They're saying good things, positive things, but they're leaving out the part about them worshipping other gods. And so 
It is right what the Israelites do here in saying, no, you have no part of us. You are being deceptive and we will not join with you. We will not let you join with us. And the same thing still happens today. The attacks that enemies throw at us are often very deceptive. We as Christians are building the temple of God, not in the same way that the Israelites were. They were building a physical temple, but we are temples ourselves where the Holy Spirit comes and dwells. We make our temples holy and pleasing to God, or if we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit within us. And we build God's temple by sharing the gospel with others and encouraging others to follow God faithfully. We are temple builders as Christians. And we do have enemies. We have people who do not like us building God's temple the way he instructs us to build it. And so they will come and attack us and they often will attack deceptively. They will say positive things about Christianity while holding back what they truly believe. Their differences with us as Christians. It's very obvious who these people are sometimes, but sometimes they're a little bit more subtle. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking on the door, the question that they've asked me most often when they come is, have you ever read the Bible? They start with that question. They have a Bible in their hands. And they show that Bible to you and they quote bits from it and they call it a Bible and so you think, yes, they're Christians. And they talk about Jehovah, the Lord, and they say positive things about him. And so you think, oh, these people are like me. They're Christians. They're my brothers and sisters at the door coming here. I should welcome them in and talk to them and be encouraged and taught by them. But no, they are holding back a number of things that they disagree with us about. Ways that they worship God and who their God is. They do not believe that Jesus is God. And so how can they worship the same God if they do not worship Jesus Christ? And, but they are being deceptive. They use the Christian jargon, they use the Christian terms, and they try to draw you away from true worship to Jesus Christ. And other religions do it as well. What's going on in Sydney at the moment? There's these billboards up, and Muslims, uh, uh, Islamic posters have been put up, and they say, Jesus, a prophet of Islam. And they say, find out about him in the Quran. And so we think, oh, Jesus in Quran, and people would have us think that Islam and Christianity, it's often said in the mainstream media, Jews, Muslims, Christians all worship the same God. Why don't they just get along? Jesus, prophet of Islam. We affirm as Christians he is a prophet of Islam, uh, a prophet as well. So we, uh, we think he's a prophet, prophet, okay, we will go along with him. But no. He's only a prophet. The Quran does not teach that he is God as we affirm that Jesus is God. And so we have to be careful. The mainstream media would have us believe and some liberal uh, Christians and liberal is, um, in, some Muslims are very honest and will tell you up front, no, we are different religions. But other Muslims, they will be vague and they will say, yes, yes, you can join with us. We've got to be careful. They can come at you with deception and it's the same with liberal Christians. You may not have heard of liberal Christianity, and it really is a totally other religion, a totally different religion. It is Christians who come to you, and they will affirm things about Christianity, but they believe them in a totally different way. They will say the Bible is inspired. 
Just like you say that 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed, it is inspired by God. But what they mean by inspired is just like Shakespeare's works are inspired. They will say Shakespeare was inspired as well. And so you, if you don't dig, if you don't probe, you think that they're Christians with you. They believe the word is inspired. They will say that Jesus, they, yes, yes, they believe in the resurrection. But when you probe, what do they mean? They say, Jesus still lives on today. The idea of Jesus lives on. He is still alive today. But they won't affirm a bodily resurrection. And so if you don't probe, you will think that these people are with you and are wanting to worship God as well, like you. And you can be deceived by their attack against you. So firstly, enemies are deceptive. How else do God's enemies attack God's people? Well, my second main point this morning is that God's enemies attack obviously. After they've been deceptive and been rebuffed, we then see they get a little bit more obvious in their attacks. And we read, though, that in verses 4 and 5, verse 4 of Ezra chapter 4, what do the peoples around them do? Verse 4, Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah, and make them afraid to go on building. They hired counsellors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. First thing they do in their obvious attack is they set out to discourage the people. The word there, discourage, in Hebrew means to make hands weak. And that's what happens when you're discouraged, isn't it? You don't do what you're supposed to do. Your hands become weak. And you're not building God's temple as you're supposed to. And so the people in Israel there get discouraged. And some of the other minor prophets talk about the discouragement and the neglect that God's people have for the temple because of the work of these enemies against them. So they discourage them, probably verbally. They say things to them. Why are you doing that? Stop building that temple. You're being stupid. And they don't just discourage them. They also make them afraid. Verse 4, then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They're scared of what the people around them will do to them. And so they don't want to build the temple and create trouble. And they don't just do this, making them afraid. They go another step further. Verse 5, they hire counsellors. They hire counsellors to work against them and frustrate their plans. They actually go to the trouble to bring other people onto their side by money so that the Israelites will not work on the temple, so that God's temple will not be built. And the same thing happens today. There are people who are enemies of Christianity and they are obvious in their attacks. They discourage you and they create fear so that you don't build God's temple in your life and the lives of those around you. They aren't able to pull you away from Christianity so they deceptively, so they discourage you, usually through verbal criticism. They say, you idiot, why are you a Christian? Why would you do that? Don't you know that it's just natural to do the certain sins, that sexual immorality is just following animal urges? It's only natural. They discourage you all the time by the things that they say to you. They also make you afraid. 
by what they might do to you if you persist in being a Christian and making other people Christian by sharing the gospel. They make you afraid by threats like, I won't be your friend anymore. No one will be with you if you become a Christian. No one will want to have anything to do with you. And family may even disown you altogether and say, I don't want anything to do with you if you become one of those Christians. And in some places, people will actually physically harm you. They will make you very much afraid to be a Christian because they will hurt your body, maybe even kill you. This is happening right around the world as we speak. There are some of our brothers and sisters in certain countries where they are very much afraid of what people will do to them for being a Christian. And even some people, some enemies, will hire counsellors, just like these enemies did here. They will hire people to work against Christianity, to fight against the values of Christianity and the building of God's kingdom. This can be through uh, paying uh, lawyers to bring legal arguments against Christians and to take away their possessions, take away their very lives. They're hired to attack Christianity. So God's enemies attack deceptively. They attack obviously through discouragement, through making you afraid, through hiring counsellors. And then my third main point this morning is that God's enemies attack persistently. The Israelites here are attacked persistently. How long are they attacked for? Well, it tells us in verse 5. They hired counsellors, that's the enemies, to work against them, the Israelites, and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. From the reign of Cyrus down to the reign of Darius. It's probably about 20 years that they kept up these attacks of discouragement, of making them afraid, of hiring counsellors to work against the Israelites. They are persistent enemies. They don't go away as soon as they're rebuffed. No, they will keep going. They have endurance in fighting against the Israelites. And it's the same today. Enemies of Christianity don't try once to dissuade you from being a Christian. They will keep at you. They will go at you again and again. They are persistent in trying to get you to deny Jesus Christ and to leave the Christian faith. It has happened all through church history. There have always been enemies of Christianity. It starts with the enemies of the Jews themselves. You see it in the pages of the New Testament. Who are Paul's biggest problem? It's those unbelieving Jews, those ones who will not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Christ. They attack him. And eventually he goes to Rome under arrest because of those Jews. And then the Roman emperors themselves, often against Christianity, and attack them, slaughtered Christians, throw them to the lions. They have been there. Those enemies continue. And even today we have mainstream media in Australia always attacking Christianity, belittling it all the time. The enemies are there and they are persistent. They will go at you again and again and again. And then individually you experience attacks yourself. You may have enemies who disappear out of your life, but new ones will come along and they will attack you for being a Christian. 
our persistent. And there is one enemy who is always there, the one who doesn't die in this life, Satan himself. He has been attacking God's people from Ezra to now. He will not let you go. He will come at you again and again for the rest of your life. God's enemy, number one, Satan, he will continue to attack you for the rest of your life. So, three ways that God's enemies attack. Deceptively, they attack obviously, and they attack persistently. I want to encourage you now to resist these attacks of the enemy. And that's my fourth main point. God's people must resist all attacks. Must resist all attacks. I firstly want to speak to you, um, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I want to ask, is it because you fear these attacks of God's enemies? Is it because you fear what people may discourage you with? That people discourage you from being a Christian? You thought about being a Christian, but now you... you you're discouraged. You, people say things to you, how could you become a Christian? And so you're discouraged from being a Christian. Or is it that you're actually afraid? If you become a Christian, what will others do to you? And so you've led the enemies of God's people dissuade you from being a Christian. If that is you, I want to encourage you, don't be afraid of man, of what people can do to you. Rather be afraid of God. He is the only one you need to be afraid of. Because the attacks of God's enemies only last until you die or until Jesus returns. Whereas God's attack on you is much more painful and it goes on for eternity. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you've listened to God's enemies and have stopped from becoming a Christian... Don't do it. Instead, repent and believe in Jesus Christ today. Join his kingdom. Start building his temple right now. And resist those attacks from God's enemies. But if you are a Christian, I want to encourage you to resist these attacks, and particularly these three ways that they attack in particular. Firstly, the attack that is deception. Don't be led astray by people who deceptively claim to worship the same God. How do you resist that attack? Well, firstly, study your Bibles. Know what true Christianity is. So when someone comes along and uses Christian jargon, you know that what they're saying is false because you know your Bible better than they do. And to do that, you have to actually read the thing. And that's hard work. You have to study God's word, and that's hard work. But that is the way you will resist their attacks when they come. And also study them. The Israelites knew these people in the land, and they knew that they worshipped other gods. The people didn't come and say, we worship other gods and we worship your God. No, they kept that bit back. But the Israelites knew that they worshipped other gods. And you should know that about other false religions. You should know them and know what they teach. So when they come, you can say, no, you believe a totally different thing. When the Jehovah's Witness comes knocking, you say, you believe that Jesus is not God. And they will have to affirm it unless they're completely dishonest with you. And then you know to resist them. These people are bad people. 
Test the spirits as they come. Read about Christian cults. I recommend books from time to time about other cults, about other religions. Study them. Know where they differ because people who follow them will be deceptive or they'll be even ignorant themselves. I often get criticised for um, being against Roman Catholicism and people will come to me and say, how can you say that Roman Catholics aren't Christian? How can you say that Roman Catholicism doesn't teach true Christianity? And when people say that to me, I say, do you know what Roman Catholicism teaches? Have you read the Council of Trent, the canons that they put out against Protestant faith, that they condemned to eternity in hell every person who believes in justification by faith alone? They've said it. All you have to do is get it. It's there on the internet. Read it. Study other religions so that when they come and they criticise you for being against other religions, you know what that religion teaches. And so you can rightly say they are worshipping God in a totally different way. They're worshipping God by faith and works, not by faith alone as is taught in God's scriptures. Study false religions. Secondly, what was the other attacks that they have? Discouragement. Don't be discouraged. It happens so much, particularly when someone becomes a Christian. They're all excited. They're all you know, happy about God. They want to do work at church. They want to read their Bibles. And then someone squashes them by saying, you idiot. And they're discouraged. Or someone at church, may even be a brother and sister in Christ, who says something really sinful and horrible and says, no, that's a really dumb idea. We won't do that. And so the person goes, oh, I just want to do some work for the Lord, but I want to build his temple, but... I'm discouraged. There's always a reason to be discouraged. Let me warn you. You can always be discouraged about something dumb that someone has said. Don't be discouraged. The only thing you should be discouraged about is when you're not building the temple, when you see a lack of desire to read God's word, when you see a lack of desire to pray. Those are things you should be discouraged about because God doesn't like that. And he's the one you should be afraid of. And that brings me to my next point about fear. What was the other attack that the Israelites did, uh, that the enemies did to the Israelites? They created fear. There is always going to be a reason to be afraid of other people outside Christianity. But you shouldn't be afraid of them. Because what's the worst that they can do to you? They can kill you. That's it. They can take away everything you have, put you through a lot of bodily pain, and then end your life. Yes, that sounds pretty bad. But it's nowhere near as bad as God, who has the power over body and soul, and can throw the soul to eternal punishment in hell. He is the one you should be afraid of. Man, what can they do to you? Isaiah says he has but a breath in his nostrils. He's here one day and gone the next, whereas God is around for eternity. He is the one you should be afraid of. And then lastly, what was the other way that they attack? Is persistently. Be prepared as a Christian to fight for the rest of your life. Being a Christian is not easy. It requires you to take up a cross and follow Jesus. Yes, there is so much joy, so much peace in being a Christian. But there is a lot of pain. Our leader experienced a lot of pain when he was here on earth from the enemies of God. 
Jesus Christ. And if that's the way they treat our king, how much more will they treat his servants in a similar way? Be prepared for the rest of your life to have enemies of Christianity attack you. And so be prepared. One of the best ways I think you can be prepared for the attacks that will come, you may be in a peaceful time now, but you need to have long-term plans as to how you're going to stay strong as a Christian. What's the best way, I think? Know your Bible, and particularly even memorise your Bible. Get the word into your head so that when they attack, you may not have a Bible in your hand, but you've got it in your head. Start memorising scripture. If you want a list of good verses to memorise, I'm happy to give you a list. But that's a long-term plan. Memorising scripture is not easy, but it's someone who recognises that enemies will attack me for the rest of my life, so I need to be prepared. I need to do hard work now so that I stay firm and true. Memorise scripture. Get it into your head. Read it each day, but actually concentrate on getting words into your head. So are you prepared for the enemy's attacks? Are you easily deceived when people come and start to speak to you about Christianity? Are you taken in by the Jehovah's Witnesses when they come knocking? Are you easily discouraged when someone says something dumb to you, whether it be a Christian or a non-Christian? Do you let that stop you working hard at being a Christian? stop you from helping out at church because someone said something silly to you. Don't be discouraged. It's the enemy working against you. Are you easily afraid of man? Do you fear what other people will do to you if you work on God's temple? And are you prepared to fight for the rest of your life against God's enemies? Let us speak with God now. Heavenly Father, we recognise this morning that you have enemies and that they do have power and they can harm us greatly. Just as your people stopped work on the temple so many years ago in Jerusalem, your enemies can stop us working on your temple in our own hearts and in the hearts of others. Lord, we pray that this may not be because we stand firm in the faith. We know our Bible, so when they are deceptive toward us, we can resist. We know that when they discourage us, that we can get great encouragement from you. We know that when they make us afraid of them, that we shouldn't be afraid. We should only be afraid of you and your displeasure if we stop working for you. And Lord, we pray that we may know that they will be persistent and prepare accordingly so that we can stand firm in the faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.